when I was very small. We used to take our sleds out in the wintertime. The only hills we had were the ice-covered stone steps of some houses down the street. We used to fill them in with snow and make them smooth and slide down them all day. It was very dangerous, you know. Far too steep. And sure enough, one day a kid named Rufus came down too fast and hit the sidewalk and we saw his face just split open right there in front of us. And I remember standing there, looking at his bloody, open face, thinking that was the end of Rufus. But the ambulance came and they took him to the hospital and they fixed the broken bones and they sewed it all up. And the next time I saw Rufus, he just had a little line down the middle of his face. I never got over that. But that was what one person could do for another. Fix him up, sew up the problem, make him all right again. That was the most marvelous thing in the world. I wanted to do that. I always thought it was the one concrete thing in the world a human being could do. Fix up the sick, you know. Make them whole again. This was truly being God. The theater, the theater. Theater. To be or not to be. Theater. Theater. Yeah. Oh. Our nipples are what? out of tension. <laughs> nipples, oh, nip, nipples are happening. It is cold, though. It is legitimately cold in L.A. today. But yeah. tomorrow we're supposed to get up to 81. So uh, It feels knows. like an armpit in my apartment right now. <laughs> Does it so. really? It'll get warm in my room in my because I'm in a corner. Well, I'm freezing uh, cold uh, here in Pasadena. It's quite it's quite cold. Uh, my t- my nipples are, are fierce. What is it like? 55? Yeah, that's <laughs> it's cold though in LA. Like we've just become no, know, sensitized to it. We've all lived for if cold If you had places. told me, if if you had told my Wichita self that I would be cold in a fifty-five degree weather, I would have slapped you silly. Yeah, for sure. First of all, because I wear shorts in twenty-degree weather and yeah. right, 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 yeah. right. It's like I, I can't. Your that. blood is thinned, just like I can't mine. remember quite the last time I wore long pants. Like, like, I, wait, I wait I'm John's or like what are long, long pants? pants? Like, like jeans, like jeans or slacks. I've worn nothing but shorts. I guess I've worn sweatpants. Okay, Dad. But like long pants. <laughs> it's a long. It's a long, pants. long pants. In a Scott, while. you are allowed to wear long pants any day that you want. Just pay yeah, day. Okay, well, fair's fair, but I just I don't like them. So I generally don't. I mean, sweatpants when it gets cold. But I thought no. you meant like long johns, like long underwear. I haven't worn long johns He's, since. 
She's using dad speak. I'm going to be honest. I'm not wearing pants right now. (laughs) Neither am I. Like a a booty short situation going on. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in, I'm in boxers right now. We did the pants down breakdown earlier. We're, we're fully ready for this thing because (laughs) that's a great segue into welcome Theater, theater. <laughs> the theater podcast for theater people made by three theater nerds from the LA theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Burcham. I'm CJ Merriman. And I'm Scott Leggett. And each week we get together to discuss, debate, and disseminate the evolutions of the great playwrights. This week we begin our new mini series covering the works of the amazing, incomparable Lorraine Hansberry. Ooh. Ah, now there's. There's been a little debate. All right. Uh, I can't decide on a name for this one. And normally I'm, I got it right away, but there's two. So I need us to decide right now before we put out. Any oh, art. yeah. Catherine, I think our guest should decide. Can, yeah, they can guest decide. Yeah. Yeah. Is it I can do a, that. a podcast in the sun or is it a raisin in the pod? Oh, no. A podcast in the sun. A raisin oh, in the pod okay. sounds. Come on. Okay. Like something CJ wins. Wrong. CJ wins the debate. The well women done. win. Uh, you know, but, it seems but right. It's, it's about goddamn time. But we appreciate <laughs> so much the uh, the help with that because this week we're joined by an extraordinarily special guest, a Los Angeles-based performer, activist, and diversity consultant, a winner of both Ovation and NAACP Theater Awards, and the first black woman in history to be cast in a production of the musical Once. Okay. Oh, yes. Bryn Washington, everybody. How are you, Kat? Welcome. I'm, I'm well. That sounds a lot more impressive when you read it out. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Will you come with me everywhere? Just yes, I can introduce you into every room. Yes. Bring my trumpet. So yeah. yeah. Wear a cape and like swoop in. and Now and, announcing and... the incomparable. <laughs> Los Angeles-based performer and activist and diversity consultant, winner of both Ovation and NAACP Theater Awards, and the first black woman in history to be cast in a production of the musical Want, Catherine Washington. I mean, you're hired. I need you tomorrow. Um, I have a meeting at 10 a.m. Yeah. Does that work for you? Perfect. I I, I can be anything you need. Um, You know, the last thing I think before COVID that you got to do, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was the Wallace Annenberg Frankenstein, right? Yes, yeah. A uh, winner fantastic. of 11 Ovation Awards. Did you see it, Scott? I did, yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, yeah. oh so you saw my tits. So you're familiar. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's why we went, if you want the truth. Uh, and uh, dear I friend- know. It was a huge surprise. <laughs> and dear friend, friend of the pod, Keila Peckett, was in that production yes, as well, who we just Keela. did an artist spotlight with. So go yes. check that out if you haven't listened to it. We'll we'll have to do an artist spotlight with you soon, Kat, because there's a lot that we could discuss and get into about you and your resume and your activism. And we're definitely going to uh, pitch a lot of that later in the episode. But today we asked you here to pay homage to one of the greatest playwrights of all time uh, and possibly one of the greatest humans of all time. I'm finding out through all my I, research. Like, um, yeah, the research has been like, what? What? Yeah. yeah. Isn't what you find out when they finally open up those sealed archives. Huh? Exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm gonna, I, 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 I got that in the notes. Yeah. yeah. So Surprise. We, normally we would go right into Scottopedia, which is where Scott tells us you know, the history of this person. But I think it's important to understand uh, when we have a guest 
your context with this playwright. So let's start there. We're connoisseurs of context. We each, I'm sure, have little bits of context with this playwright. I would love to hear yours before we get so, into it. So I actually, I have a kind of interesting context to Lorraine Hansberry, um, specifically A Reason in the Sun, and it actually kind of intersects my family history. So mm. I remember, I think the first time I read Reason was in like eighth grade. Um, and that year we'd been in a school assembly and they were asking, they were like, blah, blah, blah. They were quoting links and Hughes. They, and they said something like, what, like, who knows who said, like, what happens to a dream deferred? And I was like, well, I do. I know who mm -hmm. said that. And that's because, so growing up, I grew up in North Carolina. Uh, I grew up and on my bookshelves were all these first edition signed copies of links and Hughes books. And it oh. wasn't until around that age that I discovered. So my mom's uncle, our great uncle, Joe Huntley and Langston Hughes wrote a Broadway musical together called Tambourines to Glory. Oh, um, wow. yeah, 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 yeah. And so they were really great friends. And so of course, whenever I see this thing, a raisin in the sun and what happened to a dream deferred, does it fester like a raisin in the sun? Um, yeah, that, that was kind of like, well, I gotta read her because I grew up reading this man and Apparently there's an intersection here. So that was kind of my introduction to um, the magnificent set is Lorraine Hansberry. That's incredible. Have awesome. you ever seen any of her shows live? I've seen Raisin. I, yeah. Raisin's the only one I've seen live. Um, it's like the one that you see a lot, the one that if yeah. you're a young black actress like me, it's like, what monologues do you have? You do something from Raisin, you do something from Fences, you do something from Raisin again. Sure, those, yeah. those are your options. So yeah, And actually, I, a true stat is that this play in a non-COVID time is produced every single day on this planet. I'm sorry, what? That wow. is a true yeah. statistic. It, this play is produced every single day on the planet Earth. I mean, there are so many productions of it, whether it's a middle school or a high school or huh. a regional theater. Yeah. Well, and they I love, love it. They love it in England, too. And, yeah. you know, and it and and in Europe, I think that, you know, for Europeans and the British, it's it's a, a view that they don't normally get to have sort of that mid-century uh, African-American experience at all, you know, and then it's yeah. so universal. It can be like I oof, I wept. I cried yeah. again. like and, like I just yeah, did. I just cried like well especially you know well we'll get into it more but the you know we the, got a lot to talk about is, that's for sure is, yeah is mm -hmm. is a trick ending in a lot of ways you know when you yeah. have a real life experience and it was just like well before we get into her experiences I want to hear y'all's experiences as well uh context with this so CJ what is your uh sort of experience with Hansberry before this podcast very very little um I had to read her I read her for my major dramatist class she was just part of the curriculum and I read her uh read Raisin in the Sun and then that was it uh so this was I learned a lot and I really enjoyed reading her stuff I think that tends to be the case, actually, with most mm -hmm. people is Raisin is where they stopped, right? Whether it be even, uh, I think it's required reading for a lot of mm -hmm. uh, middle school or high schools. Mm -hmm. And if not, then you definitely read it in um, in theater school. Um, Scott, not what my public school. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I think it, uh, uh, you know, depending on where you are in the country, too, you may yes. not may not be handed this book, which is a huge disservice. And we'll get yeah, into that. Go ahead, absolutely. Scott. So I, this was introduced to me by a marvelous English teacher 
uh, Mrs. James when I was in eighth grade. Uh, I was an Air Force brat and I lived in Japan. Um, and so there was this group of teachers that would co, you know, that would travel and live around the world teaching at the Department of Defense Dependent School System is what it was called. And she was just this really cool woman. And she she introduced me to Gordon Parks and like um, she knew I was into acting and, and theater. And so she was like, have, have, have you and I remembered kind of seeing the movie um at that point but she gave me her own copy of the play and let me read her copy of the play and i don't think i really fully grasped it at, at you know whatever 13 or 14. um and then i got I've, I've seen like three or four really great very small intimate like a couple college performances of it that were all hit out of the park like that were all just fantastic productions um, and then I had a professor uh, in college who was at that time kind of fixated with where women and particularly women of color stood in sort of history as playwrights and why we didn't know. And he was insistent people knew more about her than than they did I, I, yeah. I, if that makes any sense and so he kind of sense yeah and so i had forgotten that i had read uh uh a sign in in sydney brewstein's window years ago and was reminded about it again when i read it but that was it and then but the only thing i've seen live is is raisin in the sun i besides i've seen the the at the time, I think he was going by Sean P. Diddy Combs. I've seen that movie, mm -hmm. and yeah. I've 2008 seen- 2008 with Audra McDonald. Mm -hmm. Audra McDonald, Felicia Rashad, yeah, uh, yeah. phenomenal. Uh, little, yeah, they did yes. They did it, it yes. works, it works. Um, Sean, you know, Diddy's fine. Diddy. <laughs> <laughs> he's really good at music, huh? He is, he is. <laughs> he's really funny. He's really, really funny in the movie, Get Him to the Greek. Oh yeah, he he's great. Basically yeah. plays himself. Yeah. Uh-huh. But he do it doesn't transfer to legit drama. But uh I've seen the city Sydney Potier uh uh Ruby D movie obviously as well. I've never seen Raisin on stage. Mm. Mm. I don't know how. I I don't think I've even had an opportunity. I've never seen like I besides like maybe a middle school production that I just missed, but um I had read it in freshman year of high school. They handed it to us and I read it, required reading, loved it, uh, loved my teachers. Well, I've said this on the pod before, but a gauge of whether or not I was gonna like a book was whether or not I liked my English teacher at the time. <laughs> um, and I loved her, uh, shout You're out completely to- Completely valid, completely. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Lori Bigler, one of my favorite people on this planet. Uh, like second mom to me. Yeah, but she, she handed me this book and Lord of the Flies and a few other things and Frankenstein, actually Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I did get to see Sign and Sydney Brewstein's window at Oregon Shakespeare Fest in uh, <gasps> 2014, I think it was. Cool. And besides one piece of it that I really disliked, specifically one actor in it that I really disliked, it was one of the best plays I've ever seen in my life. And I'm really excited to talk about it. OSF just handles shit really well. And they, they did a, uh -huh. a great job with it. Uh, mm -hmm. But that's all I had. And now I've bought all of her plays and know a thousand things about her. And I watched her documentary and I watched the James Baldwin documentary and I watched everything of her related to her. And now I'm like, did you, did you listen to the Shay Baldwin 
playlist on Spotify that I've been talking about forever and ever. You know what? No, I didn't. I apologize. Your that should have been loaded. It's loaded with <laughs> Nina Simone and all that, but like I went back and started listening to it again. Gifted and blessed. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. It's yeah. um, uh, Catherine. It's this playlist that they put together. Uh, based on the vinyl that they found after James Baldwin had passed at his home in, in France. And they created this, it's like, it's 30, it's like, it's like 30 hours of music yeah. and it is extraordinary. And it's everything from Nina Simone to Frank Sinatra, to funk, to disco, to let's like, oh, put it okay. in the show notes. We'll put so it in the show notes. Yeah. can listen yes. to it. Shay Baldwin is my it. favorite right now. Um, I, you'll probably get into this Scott. Cause we're about to step into the Scottopedia of the, of, of it all. But, um, Lorraine was Nina Simone's daughter's godmother she or was, her yes godmother. correct no she was okay yes she was nina simone's daughter's godmother yeah. okay amazing all the cool yeah. people hang out with one another oh yes yeah. we got some stories there's oh some... it's 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 almost too much to cover like i'm gonna read it fast to get through it all but huh. should we go into it yes yeah, Kat, were you going to say something? I was just going to say, I was just like, I mean, if you really think about it, it's just like there was, it's like all the same, like famous black people had to travel in like the same packs, you know, there was like, mm, who else were they moving with? It's true. It's true. It's, I think what struck me was just how early on and how influential her parents were and how active her mm -hmm. parents were and that, that from such a young age, she was surrounded by <laughs> these amazing people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Shall we do the stinger? Scottpedia. Ready? Lorraine Vivian Hansberry was born May 19th, 1930 on the south side of Chicago. Lorraine Hansberry was the youngest of four children born to Carl Augustus Hansberry. I'm going to name my mm. kid Augustus. It's a great name. It's a good, good one. name. <laughs> this is strong name. Good name. Strong name. <laughs> uh, successful real estate broker uh, and her mother, Nanny Louise uh, Ni, uh, Perry, uh, a driving school teacher and a ward committee woman. Carl Hansberry was also a supporter of the Urban League and the NAACP in Chicago. Both Hansberries were active in the Chicago Republican Party, not the Republican Party as we understand it today, but the <laughs> Republican Party of the 1930s, very, very different. Yes. Uh, Carl died in 1946 when Lorraine was 15 years old. Uh, American racism helped kill him, is what she would mm. later say. Mm. Uh, the Hansberries were, check this out, routinely visited by prominent black people, including sociology professor W.E.B. Du Bois, wow. uh, poet Langston Hughes, actor and political activist Paul Robeson, mu musician Duke Ellington, and Olympic gold medalist Jesse Owens. Just hanging out in the living room. NBD. Crazy. <laughs> NBD. My uh, parents actually grew up in the same neighborhood as Jesse Owens. Really? And so they were friends. They were close no. friends? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely. How frustrating. <laughs> right? Uh, oh, the stupid yeah. things that keep... In Alabama. So, oh, yeah. so they were back Alabama. Oh, they were real close. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, so uh, Carl Hansberry's brother, William Leo Hansberry, founded the African Civilization Section of the History Department at Howard University. No big deal. Uh, Lorraine was taught above all... There are two things which were never to be betrayed, the family and the race. 
Lorraine mm. Hansberry has many notable relatives, including director and playwright uh, Chanel Perry. Did I say that right? Chanel, right? Yeah, Chanel. Sure. Uh, thank you. Uh, whose eldest child uh, is named after her. Her grandniece is the actress Tay Hansberry. Her cousin is the flautist, percussionist, and composer Aldridge Hansberry. Mm. Um, Hansberry was the godmother to Nina Simone's daughter, Lisa. Um, in 1950, Hansberry decided to leave Madison and pursue her career as a writer in New York City. I should have, I've skipped over. She went to the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Uh, mm. She did not com complete her degree. She got bored and she moved to New York. Like uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> Where she attended the new school. Uh, she moved to Harlem in 1951 and <laughs> probably one of the most fascinating times and places ever to be somewhere. Like, uh, anyway i mean is that is that's post harlem renaissance but it's like where but everything you're, is yeah you're up. at the peak yeah. of of <laughs> all the all the early civil rights movement stuff yeah. is, is happening wow. there um so that's where she became uh, involved in activist struggles, such as the fight against evictions, etc., etc. Um, in 1951, Hansberry joined the staff of the black newspaper Freedom. Um, this is part of the independent and underground um, newspaper movement, which would, we will see later in some of her plays. Um, it was edited by uh, Louis Burnham and published by Paul Robeson. Um, at Freedom, she worked with W.E.B. Du Bois again, uh, whose office was in the same building as well as other black pan-Africanists. Um, on June 20th, 1953, Hansberry married Robert Nemiroff, a Jewish publisher, songwriter, and political activist. Hansberry and Nemiroff moved to Greenwich Village together. Uh, does this sound familiar? Does this sound like a Broadway play? Uh, the setting of her second Broadway play, The Side in Sidney Brustein's Window. Hansberry was a closeted lesbian. Uh, before her marriage, she had written in her personal notebooks about her attraction to women. In 1964, Hansberry and Nemiroff divorced, but continued uh, to work together. Upon his ex-wife's death, uh, Robert Nemiroff donated all of Hansberry's personal and professional effects to the New York Public, Public Library. Hmm. In doing so, he blocked access to all materials related to Hansberry's lesbianism, meaning that no scholars or bi bi biographers had access to uh, those notes for almost 50 years. Wow. But in 2013, Nemiroff's daughter released all the restricted materials um and there have been some biographies and things written uh based that's on that awesome release. yeah mm. i'm glad they got released that's crazy yeah. i didn't yeah. know that part and it was cool what i didn't mention and, and keep in here is that he he basically helped complete like les blancs uh mm -hmm. and a lot of his late and a lot of her later writings they were right really quite close it sounds like um so, oh, it, soon uh, around uh, mid-50s, she becomes close friends with James Baldwin. Bailey, I think you have a story about that. We'll let you relay that in a second. I do. Uh, in 1963, <laughs> she got to meet with Robert Kennedy. Uh, James, Bal <laughs> James Baldwin described Hansberry's uh, 1963 meeting with uh, Kennedy, uh, in which Hansberry basically asked for a moral commitment on civil rights from Kennedy. According to Baldwin, Hansberry stated, I'm not worried about black men who've done splendidly. It seems to me all things considered, but I am very worried about the state of the civilization which produced 
that photograph of the white cop standing on that Negro woman's neck in Birmingham. Uh, mm. Talking about that famous photograph. And what, we're talking about it today still. Mm. Uh, if that doesn't infuriate you, I don't know what will. Um, Hansberry died of pancreatic cancer on January 12th, 1965 at age 34. Mm. And that breaks my heart. It's what she would have done, what she would have done. Um, James Baldwin said it, um, it is not at all far-fetched to suspect what she was, uh, what she saw contributed to the strain, which killed her for the effort to which Lorraine was dedicated is more than enough to kill a man. So yeah, she, uh, she, th and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's so much, um, we didn't even get into the whole Supreme court thing with their mm -hmm. family and the housing right. and all that. We'll get into that a little bit more as we dive into raisin in the sun, but yeah, I mean, just an extraordinary life. And it's, it's, we talked about it when we did Sarah Kane, just this person that you just, you can feel that, that, that masterpieces are coming and, um, and we lost her way too early. Way too yeah. early. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, the story that I that I read was just that one with about Bobby Kennedy, about them oh. going to see it. So it's sort of, but it's interesting, the, the context of it all, because it's basically this like cadre of artists gets together and goes to meet Bobby Kennedy. And it included James Baldwin, but also guess who else was there? Oh God, I can't Rip even. Torn. Zeus <laughs> <laughs> himself? Rip Torn from from uh, of Sweet Bird of Youth fame and it, Hercules and Dodgeball <laughs> and he's Zeus and Hercules. Um, he he was there because obviously he was you know a theater artist at the time and but like was this huge part of this movement. I did not know any of that. Yeah, That's he was crazy. a huge activist because he and Geraldine Page were married and they. They put a lot of their money and and time on the line. They felt so strongly about yeah. it. That's amazing. And I only know this because of the James Baldwin documentary. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. I am not your Negro doc. Basically is like, oh, and Rip Torn was a great friend. He was a huge part of this. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> That's <Somewhat>, awesome. <laughs> somewhat tangential. But have you seen the um, Nikki Giovanni and James Baldwin in conversation uh, from like this yeah. 1970 recording? Yes. Soul? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's highly recommend. Uh, it's a, it's, it's, so a, it's on YouTube, too. And mm -hmm. yeah, James Baldwin, I could literally listen to the man speak for oh my God. hours. Just oh. on top of his intellect and everything else, he was just given the, this gift of an amazing timber to his voice, this mm -hmm. thing that draws you in. And like, he's got just this amazing power and um, brilliance to him. I love him. Uh, she, she wrote a note, uh, excuse me, he wrote a note about her uh, about the discussing the Bobby Kennedy meeting and because basically she went in there and was like saying if you don't give federal backing to these desegregated schools then I'm you're a horrible leader and sort of broke it down in a better words than what I just did but basically said all that and Baldwin's quote in his notes was the way she looked at him just smiling the whole time I would not have wanted her to be looking at me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Didn't he say then she like, you know, she she says what what she says about we need like a moral commitment from you and then turns and walks and everyone just leaves. Yeah. Like when Lorraine left, everyone's like, we out. It's a movie yes. scene. They need to they need to put make a biopic of her her life because it's epically why, Yeah, why they crazy. haven't yet? Somebody's gotta be And scenes on that, like right? that are are the Oscar scenes. You know? yeah, I want. Awesome. 
<laughs> I want a play written about her and Alberta Jones being friends. <laughs> right? Oh. oh, my God. Or a musical. Oh, We're just going to add Hansberry into the top girls that we want. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The top girls is just going to be so much more than four women in it. I'm, no, it's going to be like... Well, context? context, context. So Carol Churchill wrote this play called Top Girls. That is a bunch of women from history who don't really get a, a, a you know, a, um, don't get talked about so much, but have like big roles in, in history. Uh, and they're all sitting around discussing femininity, but also just like life. But they're constantly talking over each other and stuff. And we've and had having dinner, they're having, having dinner and drinking wine and stuff. It's interesting in its way, uh, but it is. Um, it's not a perfect play. We we did we covered it on our on our uh, episode, but it's still very good. But we were like, what if there was a version of this with playwrights? But it's all female playwrights. Ooh. So it's like Sarah Kane and Annie Baker and Vogel. Lorraine and Vogel uh -huh. and 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 Lynn Nottage all sitting in a freaking <laughs> circle, just like <laughs> getting hammered, just getting hammered and just like just yapping. <laughs> talking over and each other. they'd have some shit to talk about you think yeah, yeah. A bit. i mean is there anything like reading lorraine that like to make you wish that you could have a conversation with her oh, yeah. <laughs> anymore oh, yeah. yeah yeah oh yeah mm -hmm. i mean it's mm -hmm. amazing yeah i think um i don't want to uh diminish her at all and this might sound that way but she to me is on par with if not above Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller, in terms of what she was doing at the time with this first play yeah. that we're going to get into. And I figure we might as well dive right in, right? Yeah. So, oh, oh, before we do, <laughs> let's say this, because people have wanted to know, and I maybe should have put this at the beginning of the episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, These yeah. are the three plays we're covering. <laughs> <laughs> People have been like, we want to know what you're reading so we don't just have to listen to the whole episode and never read them. Oh, God, because I've been waiting to find out, too. Yeah. I didn't even tell our guests what we're covering. No, we're doing A Raisin in the Sun, followed by A Sign in Sidney Brewstein's Window, followed by Le Blanc. So that's her final play that technically wasn't finished, but Nimiroff pieced together and made something out of and has been produced multiple times uh which we'll talk about but now you know so you can go read pause the po podcast go read all this shit and get into it but first we're doing a raisin in the sun cj break it down for us cj's breakdown examining the effects of racial racial preju prejudice on the fulfillment of an act you want to start over CJ's breakdown. Examining the effects of racial prejudice on the fulfillment of an African-American family's dreams, the play centers on the Youngers, a working-class family that lives in Chicago's South Side during the mid-20th century. Yes, yeah, so A Raisin in the Sun. It's, it's required reading in most high schools, but like we found out, CJ, that was not required reading for you. That's interesting. So you um, where did you grow up? Uh, the super rural, uh, all white Illinois Midwest yeah. farm area. Like we didn't even read plays really when I was in high school. We did Romeo and Juliet, and we did Macbeth, and I think that was it. So, wow. yeah. yeah, I I don't know how I got into fucking theater school. To be quite uh, honest, similarly, I'm from North Carolina, first in flight, forty eighth in education, something like that. You know, oh, yeah. um, so it also yeah. was not required reading. Like Morrison, I mean, like. Tony Morrison, all like none of that shit. That shit was banned. 
Like well, we couldn't, you know, oh, so. I remember getting into some of that stuff a little bit. Like I did, I did Beloved for a book report when I was in high school and I did a Song of Solomon. Like I, I picked up a couple of those books when I was in high school, but that was, again, it was for like a book report, but. Yeah, not required reading, which no. is hmm. kind of, it, it's, I mean, it's kind of shocking uh, as an I, adult to look back and be yeah. like, why not? Like, what was wrong with the reason in the sun other than like humanization? Right. Yeah, exactly. right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I'm, I mean, knowing, going back every once in a while, in fact, I'm going back to see my parents next week. I'm really glad I got out of that town. <laughs> so for a well, million different reasons. And I was in Wichita, Kansas, which you would think wouldn't be too much better, but I was handed it and it might've just been my teacher. Cause that same year she handed me, I know why the cage bird sings, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think, mm -hmm. I think it might've been the teacher um, because also now that I think about it and I'm, I think she listens to the podcast. So I'm sorry if I'm saying too much, but she had a lot of um, headbutting with the administration of that school over a lot of things. And I wonder if she had it about these uh, certain books. Cause there was some other thing. I mean, she gave us a, some pretty hefty material um, that year. And uh, uh, yeah. To, well, just to give you an idea of the kind of school I went through from grades six through 12, I had two women that taught me English the entire time. Oh, mm -hmm. wow. I had mm -hmm. one history teacher that entire time. I mean, that's just, oh. I had 24 kids in my graduating class. It was so just So basically you got the opinion of that teacher on all of the things, mm -hmm. like it historically. Was, I got a great education. <laughs> I mean, not really. I mean, yeah, but. <laughs> I can spell. <laughs> I can I went to all 50 states if you give me a list yeah. of all 50 states and the last few will be process of elimination but I can get there yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly um but you know I think it's one that like we said before it it raisin is produced every single day on this planet in a non-covid time uh there have been zoom readings of it there has you know there it's been it's it's it exists obviously um so this is let's get into it a little bit this is a post-world war ii uh is kind of when it takes place right or it seems to be anyway like 1950s to me yeah or even like late 40s if we're basing yeah. it on her life and what was going on um mm -hmm. at that time i don't know what do you guys think i'm sorry can you repeat? It doesn't i agree <laughs> well it just no, doesn't, it doesn't say it doesn't say it says it I think it even just says post war world war two. Like, yeah. It says even... sometime between World War Two and now. Yeah. Oh wow. Is what yeah. I remember reading. So that's, that's about so that's funny. about a thirteen, fourteen year period or it could fall into. Right. I never really stopped to think about like when is this set? I, I guess in my mind it's just like blackness. Okay. It's kind of blackness and even like <laughs> rereading and like Scott, I think you said earlier like you, oh, you you wept whenever you like, yeah. read. I I reread and then I rewatched. I rewatched the Danny Glover. Um, mm, so like yeah, I've seen that one. It's also on YouTube. It is oh, so yeah, good. It's I good. I ugly cried. I hard <laughs> ugly cried, especially because I'm like so many parallels here with my own life with like her, and I'm just like, when has this not been? of like someone's story. So right. yeah, well, and I, I thought think about it was when it's said. purposeful, right? In a lot of ways. And now when it's produced, I think people do update it sometimes because you can. Yeah. They're talking yeah. about segregation, but the way they're discussing it is very much honestly how fucked things are now. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's one of the things that struck me. It had been, oh gosh, it had been probably 15 years since 
I'd read it maybe even longer. I'd seen a production in, in the interim, but I think what struck me so much and maybe the reason that we keep talking about it and maybe why it overshadows some of her other work a little bit is that there is a universality to it. There is a sense that when you read it, that this is something bigger than what's on this page in the same way. And I think Bailey, you, you said it earlier and I, I totally agree. It's up there with death of a salesman. It's mm -hmm. up there with, yes. uh, you know, long day's journey and tonight it is an American masterpiece Streetcar. street car. Um, and it, it, it just resonates. I mean, I think that that's, Part of the frustration and some where some of the tears came from for me was like why are we still talking about some of this dumbass stuff like but we are and we have to but it she does it first of all i think she loves every one of these characters like she has watched each of these characters so clearly and knows who each of them are and well and the so goal I, was to you. with with walter specifically was to show just the the average black man you could see on the street right it's just like that was her it, there's her quote is just like the uh, the guy like normal guy um and in terms of universality i i agree i don't want to diminish or dismiss the very black specific piece of this story but it does feel like this could be any family at any time For in sure. any circumstance um, but because she gets so specific in everything she does, she's making black culture universal. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, we say all the time, specificity is key. Like, yeah. it's how can you, like, watch this or, or, or read this and see your own family's life reflected back in this. And you get really, really, really specific. Other people are also able to tie their experience to it. And um, it just brings life and, and humanity into a different perspective because i mean right. how many times have i heard white people tell me like don't you think class is just so much more important than racism and i'm like but how though please wow. explain to me how those are separate oh issues you know i mean yeah i live in la so yeah you hear a lot of stupid shit but uh -huh. like 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 you're saying like yeah you don't want to erase like the very very black you know specific yeah. um of the story but it really really is a universal one it is. And and we should say that at the time on Broadway, this hadn't I mean, obviously, this she was the first uh, black playwright, female playwright to be produced on Broadway. That's a huge Heather. deal. But let's be really clear. There also hadn't ever been a, a straight family drama with just black people mm -hmm. ever <laughs> there. They had been in comedies, maybe musicals. Mm -hmm. Right. But we hadn't really, there had been this gatekeeping kind of thing with, you know, the the Eugene O'Neill of it all, where people were like, I can watch four hours of O'Neill, I don't mind, but a, a story about a black family for more than an hour and a half, no. Can't relate. Yeah, can't relate to it. Instead, they went and saw this show and they could. They could yeah. relate, and they yeah, went because you've have seen that, like just just the band, oh, humans. Like, all the, all, the, the all, all that stuff in the first act from the beginning, just the the start of the day, and all the banter and the uh, and you know and the, the, the back and forth. Uh, it's just yeah, and I, I, I think Catherine, you said it earlier. It's 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 a humanizing thing that for I imagine a predominantly white audience on Broadway in nineteen fifty nine. Probably hit home in a way that we're 
we can't quite wrap our heads around necessarily. Mm -hmm. Maybe know. it was like one of the beginnings of like representation, like representation, is important. I mean, you know, it, it's it, like we got it now in like 2021, yeah, like, kind we're, of there. Yeah. But we're, we're, we're still dealing with a lot of the gatekeeping of how black people are allowed to tell their stories and mm. use their culture. And that's still a huge issue. I mean, we're, I mean, we're fucking we're dealing with it in L.A. right now. Hardcore mm -hmm. with yeah. the way that people of color are being treated in all forms. And I know it's all over the world, but and, and the nation in terms of theater. But L.A. is is actually really confronting it right now, which is both beautiful and uh horrifying yeah all at the same time. yeah i mean i mean it, the the dam has kind of burst on that we should let our audience know that there's true been a little bit of a breakdown with the uh dismantling of the la stage alliance and yeah uh, yeah um, explain that a little bit i feel like we because we have a lot of listeners uh hi greece hi greece um, australia <laughs> hey greece put us we in the top five of, yeah and uh we have a lot of melbourne uh or melbourne 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 uh, uh listeners so so w let's explain just in, in yeah, very as, qu as quick <laughs> as I can. So there was an organization until last week called the L.A. Stage Alliance. It had been <laughs> around for 46 years. Um, and basically it was just what it said it was. It was an attempt to unify all the theaters in L.A. We should also say that, for the record, there are more actors in L.A. than any other city in the world. There are more theater companies in Los Angeles than any other city in the world. Uh, so there are some complexities there and varying sizes and money and nonprofits and for-profits. And uh, there's big boys and, and middle-sized companies and all that. Um, one of the L.A. Stage Alliance's big uh, flagship things was the annual Ovation Awards, which were basically the Los Angeles version of the Tonys. Congratulations. Thank Alan. you so much. I got right yeah, in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, um, Wait, Frankenstein swept. Oh, yeah, yeah. 11 out of our 12 categories. Yeah. Yeah. Right on. Um, and so basically the organization had been going through some issues for the past couple of years. Um, they pushed ahead on the awards. There was a controversy with the mispronunciation of an Asian American actress's name. Julie uh, Lee, specifically. Julie Lee, yeah. um, as well yeah. as um, not giving proper uh, credit to some production houses, including East West Players, which is... Also miss... miss uh photographed they yeah wrong yes la labeled well, yeah. the wrong actress on the photo um there was also some other issues in terms of access to uh, uh, uh by uh deaf audience members and that sort of thing uh, it all came to a head and then um it all came crumbling down after most theater companies started to announce that they were going to leave as members of the organization um and then it folded anyway it's a long story but I'm but good to know. I mean, I'm glad we told him. I think people yeah, should know I think that people that's going to happen. Absolutely. It's a big deal. And I think that uh, New York is currently starting to deal with a huge reckoning on its own, which may come about through because of a different issue, uh, a la Scott Rudin and his abuse and all that. It's but been I a think long time also, coming. Yeah, right? It'll, it has been a long, long time, time coming. Long time coming. Yeah. I, I, had, I had a Rudin interaction years ago. But anyway. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where I was yelled at and I 
I was like, okay, knowing exactly who he was and sitting in a room for a callback and going, I know who you are. And, oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, he was just we, a bully. We will not be giving him any more space. No more space. <laughs> but I think that you're going to see a lot of cities sort of reckoning with um, uh, how institutions are set up. I think Chicago's got its reckoning, and they've had some – some things in recent history where, you know, listen, America and the world, uh, America especially, is just going to have to continue to face its racism and the problems with race and deal with it head on and deal with it honestly. And there's that digression. There's always <laughs> work to do. But I mean, there, there's so much work to do. And and, and point being, though, that we, we are only now – actually tackling like actually tackling issues that lorraine hansberry was fucking writing about 70 years ago 70 yeah. years ago so that's the issue at hand really mm -hmm. um and they had a bitch of a time getting this up they got they had to cut things that they felt like uh modern audiences wouldn't understand they had to uh the the getting money for it was a huge uh uphill battle uh it felt sisyphean at times where they were just like we are rolling this boulder up this hill and nothing is happening um and they got it done and they fucking got it up and she's in her late 20s which we wow. stand allegedly. i'm too old did, did anyone read also about the the fbi also investigating her throughout <laughs> yeah, all yeah. of this um yeah, as a member of the communist those... party like making sure there's no communist propaganda and a raisin in the sun Jesus. and quickly finding out like I guess I guess not. Like yeah, her phones were tapped. She was yeah. <laughs> like, you still can't Yeah, Jesus. Oh, she, I'm convinced. She I'm and Robeson, well everybody everybody at the at yeah. the Freedom, <laughs> the newspaper she wrote for, they were all put on the list. Yeah. Um and Go and tell Pro baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's just an extraordinary story and an extraordinary accomplishment. We should also shout out Lloyd Richards, uh, who directed it, who, you know, was the first black man to direct on Broadway. No big mm -hmm. deal. And who Raphael Clemens, when he was on our show, I got to work with. And see, Isn't that crazy? You know, it's like, wow. oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone go back, back and listen to our August Wilson yes. episodes. Raphael Clemens, like. He was in grad school at Yale as as August Wilson is writing his big stuff. And NBD. <laughs> no big deal. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I, I saw Samuel Samuel Jackson do uh, the piano lesson before anybody knew who Samuel Jackson was. <laughs> uh, and then was he great. didn't. And then Samuel Jackson didn't actually get to do the Broadway production. Right. Right. He just did the original Yale rep. And then. Uh, <laughs> Charles, is, Charles is what happened to that guy? God, I don't yeah, know. I haven't heard there. about him yeah. since. <laughs> no, wait. Oh, wait. He's on my Capital One card. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's in your wallet. And he's Quentin Tarantino's best friend. He's Quentin Tarantino. So. Oh, oh, and he's been hanging out with Spike Lee a lot lately. So. Right, right, right. No, no big deal. deal. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so let's let's dive into sort of you know the plot. We got we had a great breakdown from CJ. Uh, we're obviously following the family, and it's a little bit autobiographical, right? There's this great story of her family moving to. Clyborne Park. Well, I don't know if we call it a Clyborne great Park. story, <laughs> but it's a story. Well, no. Yeah, it's a it's an epic tale. It uh, is an epic tale, and I think that um, they ended up moving into the Washington Park subdivision of South Side of Chicago. Not Clyborne yeah, Clyborne Park. is 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 uh, fictional, right? It might be. Yeah, I, I mean, I, no, there's a Clyborne. 
suburb of Chicago, but mm-hmm. I think that uh, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I thought. Isn't there, there a play called Clybourne Park? There is. Pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, but yeah, so that that's By what Bruce happened. At, so that that story had they'd already gone through all of that. Um, so her father was a very successful real estate agent. He bought a house, and they were basically her sister in the documentary relays a horrifying like Lorraine, a young Lorraine is sitting on the love seat and a brick comes flying through the window and lodges itself in the wall and just misses her. Um, you know, white, angry neighbors being neighborly welcome the new family and the, and, um, but it led to a Supreme court case. Um, and whereas he kind of was, her dad was kind of given a, sort of a partial victory um it didn't it, things wouldn't officially fully change for another like five or six years there would be another supreme court case that basically said no you can't do that it's illegal and <laughs> you can't right. sell somebody they can't move in because so of she uses of it skin. she uses the whole experience as pretty apparent uh source material for this play her dad wasn't necessarily at first doing it to and this is well okay so like mama right and and them they're they're not necessarily doing it to push this integration thing they're doing it does a whole speech about it at the end like we're not first we're not here to like fight causes or anything we're just right they just want a home they want the you know what's the line about you know having your own floor under your feet you know Mm -hmm. to feel like you you belong someplace and yeah it's really that simple generational wealth you know passed down um... it, it, it's a big deal and uh, thank you for bringing that up. i was going to mention it because it, it's it's a discussion we're still having today like coates was on tanahasi tanahasi oh yeah yeah oh. he was just on the other day and he's like he's like i don't know why i gotta keep having this conversation but we got to talk about wealth and generational yeah. wealth and you know that that hasn't been allotted to the african-american families as a whole not like white families and it's it's crazy that we're still talking about it it's crazy that ten thousand dollars the life insurance policy you know well i guess in the time you know ten thousand dollars is a lot of money in 1959 but so money is a huge part of this this play in general right and 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 the wealth on the surface level right you have each person sort of has their reason for needing the money whether it's the everyone needs the house right we've put three thousand down for the uh, of the ten thousand we need to uh to get this thing then you have benitha who wants to go to medical school Mm-hmm. Uh, she's in medical her... school. She's oh, already... right, but yeah. needs to pay for it is what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But needs the money, right? Yeah. And um, uh, performed beautifully by uh, by Catherine at the beginning of this episode, which we've not recorded, but I'm sure it was amazing. Um, <laughs> it, will be, it will be amazing. In general, everyone has their different reasons for the money. The liquor store, right, with Walter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something I want to talk about in terms of money is when Mama gives the money to Walter... And maybe this is the first time this trope is 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 created, but it's such a trope now to where even if you don't know this play or what's going to happen, you know that something bad is going to happen with that. Money. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just now it's like it's the magic beans thing, right? Uh-huh. Where it's like, I just know that maybe that's the first time it was used, right? But the idea is sort of like. I know right away when this money is handed over, there's an important purpose behind it. The first thing I think is. Oh fuck! Is something bad gonna happen to that money? 
because they the stakes are very high for this well and the way she describes it and sets it up and it's this check and they're waiting for the mailman to come they know it's coming on saturday, saturday morning the mailman's gonna be there by 10 30 he's been there 10 30 every every morning for the past 10 years he's gonna be there that saturday morning and mm-hmm. just how delicate she describes the the physical handling of the check like yeah and, and mama immediately going to ruth who's you know the gatekeeper of everything you can tell ruth is is the one who's holding everything down and going you you put this away please keep mm-hmm. this safe you know yeah. um and yeah it's setting up that you know it's all so delicate it's a piece of paper it's I mean, a piece of paper with a bunch of zeros on it i feel like even in her early on conversation with walter um talking about like what is going on like there's kind of like this this sickness this madness that's consumed you and you know like early on she's talking about the world and this need to have this money it's like I feel like it's set up in so many ways before we even get to that moment where I like to believe like mama also knew in handing him this check that there was a possibility that something would go wrong like she's really calling on him like step up and be your father's son yeah you know it's like and so that's why it's so devastating and like so rewarding at the end whenever she's able to like say that because right. she handed him this money knowing like you think like this this dream that he had like he still views himself as like head of household somehow um giving away money <laughs> right, still needing right. money in order to like get to work and it's like she that doesn't just go away this idea that like i've got it and i'm gonna bank everything up you don't hand that person some money like just thinking like "Eh, i'm just gonna go put it in the bank it's like you know there's a there's a chance that he's gonna still be a boy here. but she's giving him the opportunity exactly and she she wants him to take that step into right well she says it later at the end he does she does like he took his first step into but really the part where i first broke down in this play is actually when he is yelling about i think he's even yelling at willie and bobo or something like that and he's saying that money was my father's flesh Mm -hmm. yeah that was the first time like my uh, a tear hit you know and i was like fuck me Mm -hmm. right and 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 it that's really where the ball drops about how how important this money is even though you're exactly right cat like it's been it's they've been setting it up this whole fucking play and by that time it's just the most heart-wrenching I'm yeah. Blood money, blood money so, is hard. And and the the other thing that I think she does is that you can see she's at the, by this point seen what the pressures of 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 racism have done to her father. She you know she says that you know racism killed my father, and she described the way she describes Walter as being that his cadence is a little bit off. That he that he. The, his use of words is a little a little off and a little like it's the he's under a pressure cooker uh in so many ways and and a victim in so many ways that is just trying to do the best thing he loves his son and it's such a beautiful relationship when he when he's got that spark he's like i'm gonna, i got it i got the idea we're gonna I, you can be everything anything you want to be you can be anything you want to be because now i've got this this thing that i'm gonna that's gonna take care of it for us you know i think another thing that really struck me about the script too that i was like wow 1959 was the subject of abortion oh and yeah right why a woman would decide i mean just the flat out decision of like we can't afford it we yeah, can't afford the, to have another baby. And the, and the change that you see in Ruth and the stress that you see mm-hmm. her under, oh. 
Yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of the first moments that I cried. Just like realize it's like you're here and like and this family, like they, you know, that this this would be a celebration if mm -hmm. it weren't a liability to bring yeah. a baby into the world. And when I think about we will get into this later, like everything going on right now. And I just had this conversation with my partner last night. I'm very much, I don't want to have children for many reasons. And mm -hmm. um, it's like they haven't <laughs> heard that. Um, and I'm just like, how do you bring a child into the world knowing that it will suffer is like where I feel like Ruth is at. It's like, can we feed this baby? Yeah. Yeah, and Hansberry sets it up so well, the way that she's described and set up the physical space. It's like, literally, where would you put this baby? Like, literally, like, where would you, where was this baby going to be and exist? And as Travis will hold him while he sleeps. Yeah, yeah, it's like all that. Yeah. It's just crazy. Can we talk about Beneatha real quick? Because she's Absolutely, because she's sort of the B-plot. And she's, yeah. and I just love her. I love her as a person, as a character. Like she's uh, so just, ahead of her time. Uh -huh. And she just went like, she's just alive. Like from the second that she walks on and the knowledge that she, she's, she's just trying to get everything. I got to guitar lessons. And then they yell at her. was like, what about the photography class? What about the horse riding lessons? Like, because any stuff. other young woman's response would be I'm 20. Right. That's why. It's a 20. I'm 20. I can do what I yeah. want. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> but that's that's clearly Hansberry, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's her writing that as her herself, right? Am I wrong? I don't know. I, I don't know. I thought she could have been in Ruth a little bit too. I'm yeah, sure. I, I, mean, I'm I sure also read that Asagai was like Hansberry's kind of like voice in mm. there. Mm -hmm. uh, as okay. I was reading, I mean, um, leading up to reading Le Blanc, um, mm -hmm. they were saying yeah, that yeah, that yeah. was kind of her, her I, I mean, now knowing more about her story and like how um, informed and like, I mean, just focused on the mother continent and uh, bridging a gap for herself, you know, right, and that, right, that, right. that was a very important part of uh, her voice there uh, through that character. So I wonder if she's a little bit of and a little bit of all of I mean, obviously she I put mean, yeah. herself in there into all of her characters but um and beneath is really interesting because you said earlier sky like ruth is the one who's like holding it all down but beneath is the one who sort of sees what all is going on yep mm -hmm. like she, right she's the she's kind of the smartest one she like gets it all she really sees <laughs> it and so she ends up having this b plot where she's courting that wealthier black man right mm -hmm. which gets into we're talking about generational wealth. We're talking about wealth in general. Like, uh, has he turned his, has his family turned his back on the poorer side of, of town has that, you know, that kind of stuff comes up, but he doesn't seem to like really appreciate her independent sense of self. He doesn't like it. He didn't like it at no, all. No, no, I mean, he's kind of a dick about it. You know, I mean, well, the whole hair thing, you know, which again, we're still talking about with that documentary that the Oscar a couple Chris Rock. Yeah. Yeah. Hair, just a yeah. couple of years ago. And, you know, we're still talking about, you know, African-American women's hair and mm. and the significance of that. And apparently, like on opening night there was the gasping there was some gasps when she comes out in the because she has the, the the african dress on and she's got her natural hair people just weren't talking about it until 
Lorraine Hansberry was like, we're going to talk about it. Hmm. And I think it's, I don't want to say bravado or bravery. I I think it was more straight ahead. It was more common sense. It felt like she was just laying it out. This is what it is. Reality. Yeah. Yeah, again, it's it, why are we still having these conversations 70 years later? Why? Because white supremacy. I, because I mean, nothing. I, I mean, it is. I mean, it, <laughs> I guess it's just that fucking simple, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it really is. It's the it's answer just, for everything. It's just. It's just dumb. Why does my oh, butt itch? You know. White supremacy. <laughs> what, it, I bet you I can draw a line. I guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay well we can go down that road um no it's good but i mean this this is a great uh way to get into this the lindler what's his name Lind- lindler is that he's oh oh the, the shitty the, white guy uh, yeah the, com- <laughs> the 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 head of the greeting committee and he comes in and uses all of this really lindler. coded language yeah <laughs> you to greet them Right. You people about like one oh, man. too uh, many times. Uh, one too all many the times are too many times. Well, was... and you notice that she uses the same this the same thing about talking. She ta- she uses it in Le, Le Blanc too. Oh, yeah. we just mm-hmm. you just want to talk. You just want to talk, do you? Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Let, let's talk then. You know. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh man. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the most coded language monologue of all time. And he basically offers them more money to move than right. they would have to pay to stay. Uh, and sort of does it out of like, because we should just have conversations about these things rather than me just kicking you out. Folks uh-huh. like to be around their own kind. And it's just yeah. like, well, okay. Yeah, it's like, it's it's nice how nicely you are veiling your threat mm-hmm. for, for violence. Like, oh, that's yeah. what that is. It's like, this is, you know, we're just doing this for you. You know, even at the end, it's just like, I hope you people, again, know what you're getting yourself sent right. to. And it's just well, like, yeah, so... And the way he tries to side with it. We don't, we don't like those people that did the bombing and murder, <laughs> but we don't want you around either. We were just in the meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We just Horrible. intentionally leave our communities whenever it's we true. move in. <laughs> because property, because whiteness is a commodity that can't be hoarded. Boom. Mm, boom. Yeah. Boom. Nice. Um, so, but I mean, that, that's boom shakalaka. That brings up the ending of this play, <laughs> yes. which. Boom Shakalaka. Okay. Um, the, the, uh, the play ends with like a lot of questions about what's going to happen to the family, right? It's not a perfect tied bow ending. We're sort of kind of like, oh, okay, like I hope this works out for them. But that neighbor comes in, and this is what you were just referencing, Scott. A neighbor comes in and, and tells them that a black house got bombed recently in Clybourne Park. Mm-hmm. And that she's like, you shouldn't go there. Don't do that. And they're like, which apparently was cut from the original Broadway production. Yeah, I think I remember reading that. Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I white supremacy. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. <laughs> know the answer to everything. Um, but it's so interesting. But we just don't know what's going to happen to them, right? We don't have perfect answers, and that's all of the best plays are kind of that way. It's we we don't have. Williams, Shepard, any of them without that. It's bow. it's an ambi- ambiguity that's interesting because there's this glimmer of hope. Like you, you know, I think I started crying again just when they were like, yeah, we're going to do this. Like, we're going to do this. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, then I was like, oh, I remembered 
the history of of them of Han the Hansberry family experience and uh -huh. what they were about to face and the stresses of all that and you're just like I just want Travis to have a cool backyard to play in oh. I just yeah. want mom I just want mama to plant her plant I just that's all that I want and it just pulls at your heart and but I think that that's why it's still we still talk about it you know and we'll be talking about it forever I also wanted to to bring up her writing especially like her stage directions and stuff I have a favorite one that I wrote down uh, oh did you I yeah. have one I wanted to read um if I if I may it's the dis stage description for mama as she enters for the first time and it's, she is, in a word, a beautiful woman. Her bearing is perhaps most like the noble bearing of the women of the heroes of Southwest Africa. Rather, as if she imagines that as she walks, she still bears a basket or a vessel upon her head. Her speech, on the other hand, is as careless as her carriage is precise. She's inclined to slur everything, but her voice is perhaps not so much quiet as simply soft. And I just was like, what a character description what 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 like a morsel for an actor to have. all of them all, all of them all yeah. throughout all of her work it's just like i don't you read it and then you're just like i want to kind of want to act this out all by myself in this room right now because she gives you so much information that you need it's an actor's dream yeah you well, know, and, and director so and designer. Too. Sorry, and rich. No, their relationships are so clear and rich too. Mm. Um, oh yeah. It makes them, it, yeah. My my favorite stage direction was the silence shouts. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Yeah. I have Just, one from Le Blanc. Whenever we get there. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Le, Le, Blanc. Le Blanc. That's Le how they Blanc. were saying it at the National Theater when they put it on. They're saying Le Blanc. So right. I assume and that's French what it is. French now. Uh, yes. Um, but it's it's interesting to see also how she progresses, right, from play to play with her stage direction specifically. Uh, they do get a little more poetic as they go, even though the ones that you just read are insanely poetic. <laughs> you know, um, she's she's brilliant, which I think we could talk about Raisin for forever we should mention there was a musical called raisin 72 uh which won tonys it won tonys yeah i i vaguely remember having listened to it a few years ago somebody had it like it's it's not easy to find either but it's not one that's uh -uh. done a lot you know everyone should definitely read raisin go see it it's apparently produced all the time so go see it but i think everyone needs to also have the courage to move on to her other works because mm -hmm. yes raisin is a classic but she evolves in only her decade of writing plays only a decade woman has range <laughs> the range is insane and we're going to mm -hmm. talk about that i'm excited about it so on this episode we're going to finish up uh we're going to get into a little bit of this next one and then we'll close it out and next time we'll cover her last play that she wrote but let's talk about the sign in sydney brewstein's window and um I was gonna do the bit again where I I make it seem like there's something wrong and then I ask <laughs> about it's a, a breakdown. Great, it's a great fake, yeah. But I've done it before and I'll 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 have to save it for later. Save yeah. it, save it. Okay. Uh, but why don't we uh, break it down? Yes. 
CJ's Breakdown. A story about a man named Sidney, his pitfalls within his personal life, and struggles in bohemian culture encompasses themes of race, suicide, and homosexuality, and also focuses on individual characters learning to cope with life. Yeah, that's right. It's kind of set in this, like, what she would call bohemia. Or Greenwich like Village, yo! That's right. Like, the, the nonconformist bohemian movement. <sighs> Um, you just call them hipster fucks. Hipster? (laughs) (laughs) Hipsters use the back door. Uh, (laughs) I lived in Um, Echo Park for eight years. I can say that. That's right. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Actually, that you get you get your card after a year. Um, (laughs) This is about as opposite as you can get from Raisin, Mm -hmm. uh, and it wasn't successful for that reason. Uh, Mm -hmm. People were going in expecting more Raisin. Uh, they were like, okay, we want more of that. That was great. And many who loved the sh- the show, this show, uh, believed that people just weren't ready for it was kind of the discussion surrounding it. They were like, they just weren't ready for what she was trying to do. She's responding to the theater of the absurd movement. She's responding to uh, uh, other things in her life and Robert himself, uh, her, her ex-husband, and these other people and it has nothing to do with Raisin. It's not, she's not going to rewrite another family drama that just because it did well, she's got more stories to tell. And that's why I think this is like the proof of the exponential growth she made from the last play to this play, Mm -hmm. then to LeBlanc, then to what would she have done the next 50 years? Mm -hmm. I also think, though, that like it's it's not a family drama, but I think all of us can relate to the whole artistic family type yeah. of thing, because that's what I gather. It, it reminded me of hanging out with all of my different crazy friends and the projects that we do and things like that. Yeah. She, she was I mean, she was writing from her experience. She was living in this world with her husband and was observing this mix of stuff. She received some criticism. I think she was kind of put in this horrible position where um, African-American writers expected her to write about the African-American experience more, where white reviewers and white theater people didn't expect her to to, to do this and weren't Specifically, quite sure how to calibrate it. Yeah, Margaret Wilkerson, a playwright and writer, um, came out being really against this play. She was hmm. just like, it's not about the black experience. What are you doing? Um, and I think I, I don't have any quotes on this, but Hansberry did a really good job of defending it and being like, okay, but that's not, I was, I, I did that. I'm doing other things now and I have other things I'm going to do. You know? I can write about other things. Right. For sure. For sure. I don't, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't fully disagree with some of the criticism, um, sure. simply because of, I mean, I know you still have, oh God, what's the character? Um, uh, who's black? Alton. 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 Um, yes, obviously you still have. I mean, it's it's represented there, although mm-hmm. it seems like he there is a um a portion of passing going on there. Um, but I know right, that yep. I often it's some I I can only relate it to like so watching the trailer for Bridgerton. Um, I ugly cried when I saw <laughs> it because I felt so fucking erased <laughs> as mm. a black woman. I was just like. Shonda, like, it's not about, like, you need to just do things about, like, blackness. I was like, but 
black women our invisibility and our racial it's like we're yeah. so present in your stories and like you're and black women are often the only ones that we can count on to yeah. include us mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. not gonna lie mm -hmm. like rereading sydney as the adult person that i am part of me was just like oh well i'm not here um sure which like um, i not that i need to be there but i was just like oh i it's like it felt very much like a similar experience that I've had being in these spaces of feeling like I'm not there, even though I'm there. So it was like, yeah. I didn't really like any of these people, but I, but I could understand them, but I didn't, I was like, I, this is a room that I would want to get out of immediately, which I imagine right. is hmm. the point. Right. It is, it is bit. in a way. Yeah. And actually watching it, uh, having seen it at OSF with a phenomenal cast, except for the, and I, I shouldn't say this, but the woman, okay. The woman who played <laughs> Iris, um hmm. i've seen her in multiple things at osf and she's normally very good i saw her play ariel uh, in the tempest she's very good she made this insane choice that was so on the nose of like this actress who was just way out there with her her delusions and and but which is in the text but she like quadruple overacted and like <laughs> Rachel and I just kept grabbing each other's hands like what the fuck is happening in like, her it was defense it's 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 a really hard character and it is and I think on the I I, I I've never seen a production of it but it, it struck me as hard it struck me as difficult there's not a lot of likable people in in the play like the like even Sydney isn't likable it's um, it's but, like rent or like hair <laughs> where I hate everyone involved and yet I and like you're in yet you're in it yeah you know I get it I get it the music still bops you so. know um, so, for Hamilton even for you're like, Hamilton. everyone in this is an asshole mm -hmm. <laughs> including the man who wrote it what, what? Ooh. 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 hot take hey. that was CJ that was CJ <laughs> no we've gotten into it we did our hamilton take you know yes. months you know, almost a year call ago. me lynn call me um also uh, the, uh i don't think there there was a single uh person of color producer on that show was there uh -uh. other oh. than lynn manuel there, there, there's all really? there's, there's like 12 of them and they all white hey just so, so you know i did just find a uh hansbury quote about it's it's kind of a broken up quote about uh why she, or like her defense of this show which is neither here nor there except that it's her defense of the show so i guess it is there hansbury's only african-american character alton she says she has a deep connection with him and that sydney has a deep connection with judaism mm -hmm. and with that connection comes an understanding of oppression which connects him with the oppressed African-Americans of that time period. Hmm. And this connection is represented in Sydney's feelings for Alton. That's a broken up quote of hers, but she also uses the David character to sort of implement the, the gay rights thing, which she mm -hmm. felt like she didn't feel like she could talk about using black characters, which sucks mm. that yeah. she felt that way. And she also, she she has a lot of quotes and she had a lot of criticism of white liberalism. What? And- <laughs> Right. And I think that, and, and I read some of those quotes after I'd read the play and as I thought about it, I'm like, 
Oh, she's really kind of in the middle observing it, I think. I think she's trying to comment on white liberalism and oh, in 1000% and, and, and specifically in action, like that's the whole thing with Sydney. Sydney doesn't take any action. He doesn't want anything to do with it, which mm -hmm. is mirrored later by um, in, in Le Blanc. Uh, oh. oh, yeah. Charlie? Tishembe? Tishembe. And Tishembe. Yeah. Tishembe is like, no, yeah. I don't want in on it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and she gets some digs in. Can I read a Mavis quote real quick? Mm -hmm. Well, um, that's what I was going to say is that Mavis is the is the... What a cool white supremacist. <laughs> yeah. But she's but she's not. She ends up being way cooler in the end than you think she is. I mean, I still think she's a white supremacist, but Oh, she but. totally is. Her, yeah, she is. Constantly calling her on her intrinsic. Uh, yeah. My in-laws are great, but are they also racist? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no. But she 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 gets Comment. to keep that in. The Bohemian movement isn't basically as woke as it seems yeah but right he, he sort of grows to understand her better by the end and understands her capacity for growth which is again what sort of hansbury is trying to talk about right is like well there's this there's a capacity for growth here uh even in the most racist of of us or even in those who are uh i have a i have friends who are doing this right now who are doing this performative wokeness that's actually actually um rooted in their racism weirdly and mm -hmm. this hard mm -hmm. to watch i know we all see that going on and that's mavis in a nutshell so let's hear it let's hear yeah it. what was your mavis quote she is silent so long that they look up at her still with varying degrees of amusement then she says i'm standing here and i'm thinking how smug it is in bohemia i was taught to believe that creativity and great intelligence ought to make one expanse expansive and understanding that if ordinary people among whom I have the sense at least to count myself could not expect understanding from artists and whatever it is that you're doing Sydney then where indeed might we look for it at all in this quite dreadful world since you've all so busily got rid of God for us and I just it's the sort of condemnation of it and just was it just struck me as interesting there's a few great quotes in there mm -hmm. yeah i had an alton quote that i thought of it i i wrote it down when i read this but i thought of it when y'all were talking about like his father being killed by racism in um raisin in the sun so the quote is um man like i am spawned from commodities and their purchasers mm -hmm. don't you know this i'm running from being a commodity how do you think I got the color I am, Sydney? Haven't you ever yeah. thought about it? I got this color from my grandmother being used as a commodity, man. The buying and the selling in this country began with me. Yep. Period. That's it. Guys, I, I, lo I like this play a lot. I think there's a lot to discuss here. It's a very long play. Yes. I think we should go ahead and finish this one up, wrap it up, mm. and get back into it next time uh, yeah i've got some and... i've got i've got my my criticisms that i i want that yeah. i wish, that I wish yeah, to yeah, levy yeah. <laughs> i want to talk yeah. about the absurdism of it i want to talk about the ending and i want to talk about um our our problems with it that i think do exist um but that are that uh and then also the things that we like about it but uh in general is there any final thing that y'all want to say about it at um can't wait till next week no no, mm -hmm. I'll wait till next. I'll wait, wait till next week. Okay then. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. For uh, part do we have one. any? Um... 
LA Spotlight. On Friday, April 23rd at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, there's going to be a reading of You, Me, and Adam Levine. It is a brand new play by Michelle Gardner and Angelica Howland. It's directed by Maurice O'Brien. I'm producing it. It's starring Corinne Chewy, Tim Kopaz, and Rebecca Larson. Um, Sacred Fools is hosting it, so you can get the information for it on sacredfools.org. Uh, but it is a brand new play, and it's fucking hilarious, and I'm stoked to be a part of the production. So that's Friday the 23rd at 5 o'clock on the West Coast. Sweet. Catherine, do you have anything that you want to plug uh, that's going on this week or next week? This week or next week? Uh, I'm just going to be in my house, man. <laughs> Can we come to your house? Please do. I we'll wish somebody would, you guys. Right? Oh, my God. I know. Just... It'll get um, weird. Come on. Come on over. <laughs> we appreciate y'all so much. Uh, keep fighting the good fight, protesting. Uh, learning more. I uh, to to bring it up, not to end on a, a too sad of a note, but I I got to um, learn a lot uh, the other night. Um, there was a vigil gathering in Pasadena where they were actually met where uh, Anthony McLean was murdered, and mm-hmm. I didn't even know that story and yeah. got to find out that yeah. whole story. And I found out the story of Adam Toledo and. Uh, obviously the Dante Wright stuff is going on right now. And I think we'll get a lot deeper into those conversations in our next week's episode, but I wanted to bring it up because we need to say their names. I'll be researching, learning things that we can do, calling people that we can call educating ourselves or, uh, or, uh, each other in whatever way that we can. Uh, we've put a lot of stuff in the show notes for you to, uh, just, uh, link trees and, and, and petitions to sign and everything, uh, under the sun, as well as the Baldwin Spotify link, which we'll throw in there because yeah. that shit sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, it's, it is, it's sublime. Yeah. You just roll yourself up in it and just sit on the couch with a good whiskey and just listen to some <laughs> yeah. amazing music. Um, so thank you all for joining us for part one of a podcast in the sun. Uh, that's what we decided on, right? Yes. <laughs> that is um, disagree, but fine. <laughs> uh, but we'll be back next week to finish up signing Sydney Brewstein's window. Then we're going to tackle her final and basically practically unfinished play, LeBlanc's. Uh, LeBlanc, Les Blanc's. Les Blancs. Um, Les Blancs. <laughs> uh, we can just say the whites. <laughs> the whites. The whites. The white, white supremacy, <laughs> probably. White supremacy. Um, but, uh, and then after that, we have uh, uh, another theater, theater and stuff, which we'll announce what that is next week. I'm, I'm not going to tell you today because uh, you you, I want you to listen to the end of the next episode as well. Uh, and then we will be covering another playwright who I will also uh, announce next week. I'm just Ooh. leaving breadcrumbs. Tease, oh, tease. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, okay, Siege. Questions, comments, suggestions? Do you want to tell me I'm pretty? Well, you can email us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We want to hear from you. So please message us. Scott? Yeah, um, listen, I want to do a big thanks to uh, uh, Pamela Quinn, 
who Woo. wrote our special episode-centric Lorraine Hansberry song, which we are about to listen to after this. Uh, also, a big shout-out to Ryan Thomas Johnson for writing our theme song. Our theme song is better than your theme song. That's and true. finally, to the great Annie Baker for writing our script and writing our podcast. Uh, she doesn't know she writes it, but she does <laughs> every week. Um, so when she comes to L.A. sometime in the near future, we're going to buy Annie Baker a beer. When the bars open back yeah. up. That's right. <laughs> Please rate, subscribe, and review. It really helps us a lot to do all the things. And it's so easy to just write even just one sentence that just says, like, uh, Bailey's voice is really sexy. Or... Um, <laughs> I'm or, in love with Bailey. I'm in love with Bailey. Or uh, Bailey has great stories that he tells. Or, I want Bailey to be my friend. I would tap that. Or... <laughs> Um, mouths and butts are the same thing. You yes, can... please. They um, are. They are. Oh, we'll tell you about it next episode because it's important. Tune in. It's important. Uh, we're all due to our stomes. Uh, but we love you. We'll see you later. <laughs> God's all God's. Are you there? What can I do to get you to look down and give in? God's all God's. Hear my prayer. Okay, cut that shit out. <laughs> Later. Here's the thing about window shopping. You gotta window shop your dreams. Cause your means they ain't so good. Can't do what you thought you could. So window shop your dreams. Here's the thing about expectations you gotta try to reach them all cause the fall it's gonna hurt when you land straight in that dirt so try to reach them all risks are for winners so who do you shop your dreams cause your means they ain't so good can't do what you thought you could so window shop your